Now, obviously, in a community like ours, we have people at different stages of life, right? Some have got families, some don't. Some folk are single, some are married, some are young, some are old, some are happy, and some are not. And I just want to say right at the outset, right at the outset, I want you to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. I love the words that we sang in that song uh, with the uh, priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, where uh, the added on bit was about that the, 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 uh, the favor of God, the, the blessing of God would be on your, uh, you and your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. I love that. And uh, I thought that's such a beautiful, those words were really beautiful because they really speak into what we're going to be talking about around marriage and around um, family. And so uh, if you're going to be someone who follows the biblical pattern, then you can expect God to bless you in, in that area. And so we're going to be really focusing on the, the biblical pattern over here. So I want to ask you to be open to the Holy Spirit, no matter... Uh, what your current season of life is you know, that you're in, just even if you're sitting there thinking, well, that content doesn't directly apply to me, I want you to be open to the Spirit, and here's why. Because God might want to use you in some way to speak wholeness and truth into the life of another person. And what could be better than having a Spirit-inspired deposit to do exactly that? Right? We are supposed to walk with one another, edify one another. It's not all about us. So if it doesn't directly apply to you, then say, Hey, Lord, is there a grandchild? Are there, are there, do I have children who I could be praying about and, and, and instructing them in this way? Just be open to, to the Holy Spirit on this over the next number of weeks. You can say amen if you agree. That's like, yes, yeah, so be it. Okay, good. Okay. All right. Um, when I was seven years old, I can distinctly remember after um, visiting with some family friends a moment in which I spoke something over my life. And I haven't told too many people this, so, so you're, you're just going to get a bit of insight into a little bit of me when I was seven years old. And so we were visiting this, this, these family friends, and one of the daughters of these family friends, her name was Debbie. And she was a lot older than I was. Uh, she was in her last year of school, and, and she was getting ready to go off to college to study to become a teacher. And I distinctly remember, as a seven-year-old kid, playing that afternoon and saying to myself that one day I was going to marry a Debbie, <laughs> and she would be a teacher. Honestly. It's such an out-of-this-world, weird thing to say for a seven-year-old kid. And I'd kind of forgotten about it until a few years after I had been married. It just, just came back to memory. You know, and it just, I can clearly remember it. So 21 years later, living in London, um, my prayers to God when I was, I was around 27 years old, I, I, I was like, Lord, I think I need to meet someone now. Uh, I need to... Uh, I'd like to get married, I'd like to have a family at some point. And so I began to pray to God about meeting the right girl. And I can, I, I distinctly remember, I was around 26, 27, and I was saying to the Lord, I want to meet her quite soon because I, don't, I, want, I want like two years before I commit to any permanent thing. 
I want to be 100%, 100% sure that this is the right person for me. I want to know this person. And I, want, I want to know what they like. Uh, I, I was like, Lord, I need at least two years. That was my prayer. And so I wanted to meet someone and I wanted to meet the right person because I was not just going to rush into a relationship or a, 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 as important as marriage, right? A covenant relationship as, as important as marriage is. And then just before I turned 28 in London, in Ealing, I lived on Ealing Broadway, and then I um, met some friends, and we went around, to, I think it was around New Year, and um, I met this girl, and her name was Debbie, and she was a teacher. Now, just because God answered the simple request of a seven-year-old doesn't mean he spoke to a certain someone about me. It took me six months I'm not lying. Six months to convince her just to go out on a date with me. And I thought I was quite a good guy. <laughs> I really had my work set out for me. But you know, God worked in ways that only He can. And now we've been married for 22 years. And so I want to talk about marriage from the starting place this morning. The biblical starting place for the union of a man and a woman is in the, this covenant that we call marriage. Now, you know, every couple, I think, enters marriage kind of fully expecting that their union is going to go the distance, don't they? I've never, ever, ever met a newlywed couple who've said, hey, you know, we're, just, we're, we're going to do this for a few years and then we're going to, you know, we're going to split up and call it a day. You know, we're, we're just going to, you know, see how, how, that, how that works. You know, that's, that's our plan. I've never met a newlywed couple who has said anything like that at all. But you know the statistics as well as I do. Right? Less than half of them make it to the end. And of those who do make it, a, a lot of folk, in fact, a good percentage of people cross that kind of finishing line wounded and terribly unhappy. And so it's, it's, it's kind of sobering. And so as we start this series of talks today, I want to um, talk a little bit about how we can make a marriage work. And this is from a Christian perspective, right? How a person uh, intending to get married can make it last. And I just loved seeing all the young folk up here this morning, and I hope you're going to pay attention to some of the things that I talk about this morning. But let's pray before we get into it. Father, we just thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for everyone who has come to worship today. We thank you for the beauty of who you are. We thank you that you are a majestic God, that you've got a plan and a purpose for us, Lord, that your blessing can flow from generation to generation to generation. And so, God, may we be the kind of people who seek that. May we be the kind of people who live for you, who know what it means to live for you. So, Holy Spirit, would you just minister in the next couple of moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about building a lasting marriage. And we probably all have our own ideas about this. And uh, I'm not going to say what's wrong or right, but hopefully what I can do this morning is just bring some encouragement. And so what I want to do is I want to give four points of counsel or four points of advice for anyone who's thinking about getting married, who wants to get married, and, 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 and anyone who wants to make their marriage last. Okay. Okay. Okay, you're all looking at me a little strange. I'm feeling real uncomfortable. Here's my very first point of counsel. I, I would say this. If you want to build a lasting marriage, right, if, you, if you're going to, planning to get married or you want to build a lasting marriage, then I want to say to you, Increase your investment in the selection process. 
increase your investment in the selection process. I would say work hard on the selection side of the marriage equation because you have no guarantee whatsoever what's going to happen on the other side of the marriage altar. There are no guarantees. So I want to encourage you to think hard about that prospective partner. I'm convinced that one of the most important factors in a long-term satisfying marriage is identifying the right person to do the marriage journey with. It seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's pretty simple. But I'll tell you, a lot of people who are planning to get married don't have any real idea of, of what they're looking for in a potential marriage partner. They don't have any kind of checklist. They don't have any kind of criteria. Uh, and a lot of people don't even seek the Holy Spirit on a prospective marriage partner. Uh, so often, very little thinking time is invested by a single person Right? A single person as to what the requirements would be for someone of the opposite sex you know, to be a serious candidate for getting married to. It's quite ironic. Because if we think about our lives, very often we, uh, we pay a lot of attention to a lot of things around our, you know, our career, our business, whatever it is that we do. We've got certain preferences. We give a lot of thought to that. Uh, we, we get a lot of advice and information on, you know, just the stuff of life, superannuation, investments, you know, what kind of car to buy. We, we get all the information together. We, we know what we like and what we don't like. We have preferences. And so we'll do a lot of planning around those things. If you're going to go on a long special holiday, you plan around that. If you've got travel, you, you, you think about all of the arrangements. And so we're very careful about our preferences. We have an idea of what we like and what we don't like, but many of us neglect to think through what our marrying preferences would be. And so what happens is that some single people get attracted to a potential partner who's actually the worst possible marriage candidate. And so a deep unmet need in one person seeks out a deep unmet need in another person, and it results in a, like a strong attraction you know, that, that kind of feels like love, it's not that long after you're married that you begin to ask yourself, what have I done? And on top of that, we have all of these other pressures, all of the societal pressures, you know, to hurry up and get married. And, the, and then the not-so-subtle pressures, very often family and friends, like, when are you going to get married? And, 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 and sometimes people live, you know, they have this ongoing fear that they're going to live alone for the rest of their life. And if you add a little bit of romantic electricity to that, you can see why so many single people get hooked up too quickly. Six months after the wedding, they're asking themselves for the very first time. You know, I wonder if we really have the stuff that it takes. I wonder if we have the compatibility factors that are necessary for us to make this marriage last, to make this marriage work over the long term. I wonder if we did this right. You know, are you really the right person? Did, did I ask the right questions? Did I deal with the important issues? You know, is there enough to work with here to build a flourishing long-term marriage? And so my first bit of advice this morning would be to increase the investment on the selection side. Take it to God in prayer. Come up with some compatibility requirements before you get too far in a relationship. Compatibility is important. Let's just think about this for a moment. Compatibility. It's really important. I've got a couple of compatibility requirements I want to quickly speak through over here this morning. So before you go shopping for the ring, right? Before you um, head towards the marriage altar with the person that you're dating, 
you have to stop and ask yourself, are we compatible? And, and one of the first things as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is to, is to ask yourself, are we spiritually compatible? Are we spiritually compatible? It's important, it's really important if you're a Christian to, to talk about your beliefs. Do you believe in God? Do both of you believe in God? Do you believe in this book and what it teaches? What are your impressions about what's right and, and wrong and what's good and bad, what's noble and not noble, right? If you're going to have children, right, how are you going to raise those children? Are you going to raise those children according to the biblical pattern or are you going to raise those children according to the culture, to the way the world tells you to do things? And so this is really, really, really important. Spiritual compatibility is definitely worth talking about. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, it says that you need to be equally yoked. Scripture tells, this is King James language here. You're going to, you should be equally yoked. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? So spiritual compatibility, really, really, really important. You've got to work through that, that issue. What about character compatibility? Do you really know the character of this person? You know, are they, are they really trustworthy? Are they, are they kind? Are they kind? Does this potential partner handle their time well? Do they handle their money wisely? Hey? <laughs> Am I hitting a few points on this side of the room over here? I can see there's some groans and, and grunts over here. <laughs> Character compatibility is really, really important. Do you know that per person? Do they, are they a truth teller? You know? do, they, do they speak the truth freely and not try and, it's not smoke and mirrors? If, if you hit a crisis, are, are, they, are they the kind of person who's just going to fall apart? Or will they be able to keep things together? Do they have relational skills? You know, that's really, really important, relational skills to sustain a marriage friendship. So character compatibility. What about communicational compatibility? I mean, can you talk to each other, right? It's no good knowing how to snuggle up on the couch and kiss each other, and then you don't know how to really, know, you don't know how to really talk to each other. I mean, you know, what good is that? A lot of people actually go into marriage, and they don't have a clue about how to communicate at a significant level. So they don't know how to communicate through times of stress. They don't know how to sort through times of conflict, right? They don't know how to discuss and talk in a, in a meaningful, mature, adult way about sensitive issues. They don't know how to talk about those kind of negative, emotional kinds of feelings without blocking off that other person or pushing them away. So communicational um, compatibility is, is really, really important. And, and temperament and personality, you know, that, that's another big compatibility area because that's the point of contact after you're, you're married, the point of kind of engagement, the point of contact with your spouse uh, for the next 20, 30, 40, however many years you're going to go, the point of contact is going to be around personality. It's going to be around temperament. That's, that's the point of engagement in a relationship. In other words, if you're going to live with the other person's personality and temperament, do you know what it is? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I, I thought there were going to be some people you wanted to speak to today. But, um, you know, it's important. Have you got that figured out? 
Do you know what yours is? Do you know who, who you are? You know, are you going to be able to match up and link up constructively? What, what about similarities or differences in, in family background? That's another big one. I'm telling you now, that is a big area. It's a huge area. So, uh, those similarities, those differences can either um, build into that marriage. It, it, it could give the potential to influence a relationship for the glory of God, or it could go south. It just could go the other way. And so it's important to know, you know, do, you know are, you, are you leaving your parents for us to join each other and make a new family? Or, or is this, you still going to run to mom and dad every time something goes wrong? You know? These are the kinds of questions we need to, we need to look at. Um, what about physical and romantic attraction? Yeah, we don't talk about that in church, do we? You know, one of, one, of, one of the most common characteristics of a lasting, flourishing marriage, lasting characteristics, is a romantic attraction that is sustained throughout the course of the relationship. Really important. And in Christian circles, we do. We, we downplay this. And I really don't think that we should. Because the Bible actually contains an entire book which is devoted to the importance of romantic attraction in the marriage. At the Song of Solomon. Anybody read the Song of Solomon? Yeah, some of you don't want to put your hands up, but it's an important book to read. <laughs> important book to read. Read it sometime. Now, I also want to just say, and I don't want to tread on people's toes here this morning. I'm just doing this out of love. But I, I, I want to say that when it comes to the physical and romantic attraction compatibility area, as a follower of Christ, it doesn't give you the green light to jump into bed together. Because the Bible, again, we're talking from a biblical perspective here this morning. The scripture is really clear on this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in fact, you read that whole chapter, um, the Apostle Paul says that sexual relations are a good thing, right? But he says it's only within the context of marriage, of marriage only once you've actually entered into that covenant when you're actually married. So in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 2, Paul says, in order to avoid sexual sin, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And I would encourage you to read that entire chapter if you're, if you're not sure about this. In fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible tells us that there is more to sex than just skin on skin. Okay? Because sex involves a spiritual component. It's not just a physical act. And so the scripture says don't involve yourself in sexual relations outside of the commitment and intimacy of a marriage covenant because that's the kind of sex that can never become one it's in marriage that you become one and the bible says that there's there's a sense in which sexual sins are, are different from other sin because in sexual sin we violate the sacredness of our own bodies and and, I, and i'm just thinking as i'm talking here about the words to that song again if you're a follower of Christ this morning, then, then you want to you wanna say that this is going to have authority in, in my life. And I want the blessing of God to pass from me to my children and to generations. But I'm going to have to submit to the authority of this book if I claim to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to have to submit to the authority of Scripture in my life and do it God's way in order for me to have that blessing. Because there's a lot of people these days who are not even interested in marriage. They've never been married. They're just out there, they get together, have a family, have children, and there's no, bond, there's no covenant 
commitment before God. And, and, and sadly, even some people who claim to be followers of Christ, Christians who have, well, well I'm a Christian, I'm all good, I'm, you know, I'm going to be with God one day, but they're living a life so completely contrary to what Scripture teaches. So, you know, the stuff around sex is, you know, it's serious stuff. And if you want to be in God's will on it, then you probably need to think that through, take it to God, get things sorted out. So I just say that, 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 that think through, you could add other compatibility requirements over here, but, but for any couple thinking about marriage, um, think through these things. I'd also say that for any prospective marriage partners, when, 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 when you've kind of got that list, that checklist, um, subject your relationship to two additional tests, okay? So the first test is the test of affirmation. The second is the test of time. And w when I talk about the test of affirmation, what I'm saying is that you should get kind of um, some advice from people that you trust, from pe people that you know well, yeah? People who love you. It might be your family, it might be close friends, but get their affirmation. You know, because what happens sometimes is we come together, and have you ever heard anybody say, love is blind? It is. It's blind. Sometimes we go, you're so beautiful. I just, I love you so much. And everybody else is going, no, no, no. Worst possible marriage can worst, but we're so blinded. I'm so in love. So subject the relationship to the test of affirmation. And so if there are people in your life who love you, who care about you, right, pay attention to what they're saying. If they start waving red flags and saying, no, no, this is the wrong person, pay attention because they love you. They're looking at that relationship and they can be very helpful to you for the long term, especially if you're wanting to build a lasting marriage relationship. So the test of affirmation and the second test I would say to subject your relationship to is the test of time. Don't rush things. Take your time. Do the Andrew deal. Lord, I need two years. I'm not saying you've got to do two years. What I am saying is that let that courtship, that dating go on for a number, a, certain, a good deal of months, right? So that you can develop a true picture of what that potential spouse is all about. That's really, really important. You don't want to get married and wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, I married the ex-murderer or I married the, married the, you know. Stop, my wife says, okay, all right. Okay, so just to recap, the selection of an appropriate partner is an important factor in establishing a long-term successful marriage. And um, I think the wise choice, really the wise choice, would be to think through this carefully and as Christians to do it prayerfully. And then, you know, come up with some compatibility checklists and work through them thoroughly. Submit that relationship to trustworthy friends and family members. Get their input. Get their affirmation. And don't rush things. Go slow. Always have in the back of your mind the importance of the choice that you're making. Because you are entering into a covenant marriage. God's, God's witnessing this thing. This is really, really important before God. And God's got some pretty strong views on, on, on this covenant relationship. I think if more people did this kind of thing, they would position that marriage relationship for a... a a, a better shot at, the, at, the, at, at having a flourishing, long-lasting marriage relationship. Okay. 
don't know why I'm getting so nervous here. Everybody's looking at me real serious. So the second point of advice that I'd offer for anyone who wants to build a long-lasting, long-term relationship is this. A marriage enrichment plan. Um, the day you get back from your honeymoon, doll, start a marriage enrichment plan, okay? It's going to help you in that relationship. Don't underestimate the importance, especially in the first few years, right? Uh, two, three years of, of the patterns you're building into that marriage. What happens in those first 12, 18, 24 months really begins to set the course for the years to come. It's why if you read in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, God kind of institutes a, a, a marriage deferment provision for, for, for those who were in the military, right? The, the guys in the army. If a soldier got married, he was automatically exempted from military service for a full year in order to establish a firm foundation for that new marriage. And so God was setting up those newlyweds to win. Now, we live in a culture, we live in a world that does exactly the opposite, it tends to set up married couples uh, to lose. There's so many forces at work in the world today that are, are trying to tear marriage partners apart. You just look at so many people who are caught up in you know, the busy work schedules. You're up early, you're off, you, you know, you're busy, you've got all the other things going on uh, in, your, in your life. You've, you've, you've got um, all of these demands upon you. And so often it works to tear a close, intimate relationship apart. Look at the media. The media is filled with the worst kinds of marriage examples. Adulterous marriage images. We sit sometimes and we laugh at it on the screen. That's what's getting beamed at us. Um, and then, of course, let me tell you something. When you have children, that also changes your whole deal, doesn't it? Anybody can say an amen to that? Amen. You can say an amen to that, yeah. You get married and, hey, honey, it's just you and me. Let's go for a date. Let's do that. And the next thing you have a child. And you have two, maybe three. And then, whoa. Well, I remember one evening. Debbie and I, we, we, were, we were, we had Adam and Jude, two young boys. And we were looking forward to some alone, unrushed time. Tend to the sparkle in our eyes. And, and. Not long after we'd put our boys to bed, Jude starts crying. Debbie goes through to his room and he's vomited all over his bed. Debbie's trying to help him. He vomits all over Debbie. Adam wakes up and he's vomited all over the place. I'm going, bleh, bleh. you know, it's like, and that was that. There's no more sparkle in our eyes. And uh, so, so, so these things happen in life. And really, there are these marriage-breaking forces everywhere. So, be aware, because they're just waiting to frustrate the efforts of marriage partners who are trying to build a marriage that's going to last over the long term. And so that's my second piece of advice this morning for married couples, is, is really to get intentional about having a marriage enrichment plan. So just ask yourself these kinds of questions. You know, when and where and how often are you going to spend time together alone? Have you got any idea around that? How, how are you going to manage your, your daily schedules, your, your weekends, your holidays in a way that's going to build into that relationship? What books are you going to read? You know, what podcasts are you going to listen to? What activities are you going to be a part of that you believe are going to contribute to the strength and durabil durability of your marriage? How often are you in community with other like-minded Christian couples who are trying to head in the same direction that you are? 
See, we need to understand that successful, flourishing, lasting marriages do not just happen because there are all kinds of forces working against them in society. And so it's usually the result of years of intentional investment into that relationship that's going to bring the closeness, that's going to bring the, the, the freshness, it's going to keep the marriage vital and flourishing. What you sow, you reap. So sow good things into your marriage. My third bit of counsel would be this. Whenever you get stuck, get help. In fact, I'd say get help fast. You know, some marriages get stuck because of complexity. And life is full of complexities. And sometimes you can get into a place where you're just incapable of figuring out all of those complexities. Life, life is complex. And a marriage that gets stuck is going to stay that way until you actually do something about it. And so sometimes you just need to say, we've got to get help. Sometimes things are not fixable on your own. And really, just by sitting down with somebody, an appropriate person who can speak into your life, speak into that relationship, that can mark the beginning of a healing process. It, it, it can dramatically improve the odds of you having a lasting marriage. And so if your marriage gets stuck, get help. Get help fast. Don't, don't let things fester. And I would say, it, you know, I'd say actually get some urgency around it. Because the Bible, you know, you know what the Bible identifies as the biggest marriage breaker? It, it's hardness of heart. Have you ever heard that? Hardness of heart. And hardness of heart is trouble. It's trouble. It's what Jesus said when, when he was asked why Moses allowed a certificate of divorce in Matthew 19 verse 8. Jesus said, listen, Moses permitted you lot to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It wasn't this way from the beginning. And so hardness of heart is a, is a real, is, is, a, is a big threat to a marriage. It can break a marriage. When, when a spouse starts hardening their heart in a marriage, the stage is set for disaster. Bright-eyed brides can become angry, mean spouses, hardened on the inside because they've been neglected or they've been diminished or they've been abused or ignored. And passionate, romantic, sensitive men <laughs> can turn into hard-hearted robots if, if their bride has no more respect for them, doesn't encourage them, shows no affection, no admiration for them. And that's why I would say get help fast. The moment your marriage gets stuck, get help. Just take some time out and say, we're busy digging a hole. We're busy burying this marriage in a hole. Let's not hurt each other anymore. Let's not harden on the inside anymore. Let's, let's get help. Let me just mention one more point of counsel. And I think this is probably the most important point this morning. And that is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Commit yourself to growing spiritually. If you want a marriage that's going to last and it's going to go the distance, as a Christian, you really, especially when it comes to a prospective partner, the this, this spiritual compatibility, knowing Christ is so important. So I would just say, surrender your life to Christ and grow spiritually. I, I believe to the core of my being that the best potential of the marriage experience will never be realized until both, part, both parties are rightly related to God as well as each other. Now, please also don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not suggesting that people 
who uh, are not Christians or people outside of the family of God can't be happily married. Okay? I know lots of people who don't know Jesus who are happily married, so that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying over here is by surrendering your life to Christ, by growing spiritually, is you're going to have a Christ-centered marriage relationship. And a Christ-centered marriage relationship adds a completely different dimension to a marriage. Because Jesus-centered couples have the privilege of, of revealing to one another, uh, it's like a sacred dimension of their being. It's not just the, the, the human knowing of, of two people. It's, it's not just those human aspects of your spouse, but you're actually able to access the spiritual dimension of that person. And that's something that draws you closer. And I can tell you, Debbie and I, after 22 years of marriage, we, right from the beginning, we said, God, we want to do this your way. I remember on our wedding day, we, we took communion, we said our vows, we gave each other our lives, we committed for the long distance. <laughs> Stop pointing your finger, there's four pointing back at you. <laughs> my hand, my dear. This wonderful woman who I've been married to, and the joy in it is that when we got married, I recommitted my life to Christ. You know what happened is I grew up as a Christian, but I was never really fully on board. And I did an Alpha course. Both of us did an Alpha course together, and it just radically changed our lives. And as we've journeyed all these years together, we talk about what God's doing in our lives. We talk to each other about what God's doing. We talk to each other about God's ways. We pray for each other. We pray for our boys. At this age, we pray for them like our prayer life's just gone right up. That's what we do, because we're accessing a spiritual dimension. We often talk to each other of how the Holy Spirit has directed us in some way. You know, just the other, the other morning, we, I was saying goodbye to Debbie, and she was reversing out, and the first time I've ever seen this in my life, a guy was walking down the road picking out all the plastic bottles and stuff out of the recycling bin. I've never seen that in my life. I'm going, Lord, there's something wrong over here. But anyway, we collect all the bottles and take it for recycling. We get, you can... You can you can buy a burger with the money that you get from the, the recycling. So Debbie's got a whole lot of things in the back of her car. I, say, I said, maybe we should just give them to this guy. Debbie's like, nah. <laughs> um, Anyway, I get a message a little while later. I got, got to the stop street and the Holy Spirit convicted me. I drove around and I went to the guy and I gave him all of the bottles. But that um, is in, in that relationship, I understand that the Holy Spirit has spoken to her. Now, if I was not following Christ and she was, I'd be thinking, you're mad because I'm not being able to access that spiritual dimension. And so having Christ at the center of your marriage relationship really does add something different to it. It's true. And the other thing about Jesus is that he gives you a renewable supply of love. How many of you know that you can run out of love? Yeah, we can. And Jesus brings a renewable supply of love. A lot of marriages don't get... a across the finishing line because one or other partner runs out of love. And sometimes a, a husband or a wife can, love, can run not only out of love for their spouse, but for their family, children, friends. And so life, you know, the disappointments, the tragedies, the blows of everyday life, they, com they combine to drain that love. And, and, and it's very easy to become cynical and bitter and you know what happens sometimes in marriage relationships? Because that creeps in and your love is kind of like, the level is low, you land up pushing away your husband. You land up pushing away your wife. You don't engage. 
But people who are in a growing relationship with God are going to receive regular infusions of divine love. And, and you can convert that, that love into a relational warmth and relational tenderness. It's like a relational energy supply of love from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'll say in addition that people who know Jesus can get guidance from Him, right? The Holy Spirit is accessible. Marriage can get complex. Life can, you know, can be difficult. And, and so to, to weather the, the storms of life, what a beautiful thing to have the Spirit of God speak to you, to give you wisdom and insight, to comfort you. To have God at the center of your marriage will make your marriage strong when the foundations around you are crumbling. And something else about having Christ at the center of a marriage is that it gives us the capacity to forgive one another. Have I ever had to ask you for forgiveness? Never. Have you had to ask me forgiveness? All the time. <laughs> and guess who's going to be asking for forgiveness after the end of the service? <laughs> but, 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 but you know a relationship. It gets, sometimes it's like scratchy. And then I've got to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Would you forgive me? And the reason why I can do that is because I know that Christ forgave me first. And because he's forgiven me, I can forgive you and you can forgive me. You see, there's something uniquely beautiful about having God at the center of your marriage relationship. And last but not least, at some point, 20, 30, 50 years from now, a spouse is going to admit the other spouse to hospital and you're going to get in your car and you're going to drive home with a sinking feeling in your stomach. Are they coming out? Or worse, somebody grabs their chest late one night, is gasping, can't breathe, and you're looking on in horror and the ambulance comes and takes your spouse away. And then a widow or a widower walks away from a grave in black, heartbroken, overpowering sense of aloneness. And that will happen. But you know, in that moment, that widower, widower or widow who knows Jesus, who knows Jesus personally, will find the kind of companionship and comfort that only Jesus can give. And he will give it. He's a God who loves us. And so he will give his presence. He will give it that tenderly and he will give that warmly. And he will do what he has promised to do in Scripture. When he said, I'll be with you always. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And it's in a moment like that where you will just be so thankful for that divine companionship. Because it's an, it's an eternal relationship with God. And our relationship with God extends beyond the grave. And so too with our marriage partner. You'll be glad that you've given your life to Christ because you know that you will see them again. It extends beyond the grave. You know, I watched uh, a YouTube uh, the, the, this, this week. I watched the memorial service of Tim Keller. And uh, I was blown away. It's an hour and a bit the people that turned up in New York. I don't know how many of you know Tim Keller. He was a great pastor, writer, author. He made such a huge contribution to Christ, our Christian faith in, in these times. 
He died of cancer at 73. But his wife got up at the memorial service. Man, what a blessing. What an encouragement. You could just see when she spoke about the richness of having God in their lives. And, and it was evident how God was carrying her in that time of loss. And so I, I just want to say to you, it's such an important thing to bring God into your marriage relationship. So four bits of counsel this morning to people who want to get married. If you know someone who's wanting to get married, maybe you give them some help. If you want your marriage to last, do the selection process carefully. Get an enrichment plan going. Get help when you get stuck and give your life to Jesus. And just as we close, I just want to say that if there's any point of application, I would encourage you to take on what the Holy Spirit might be whispering to you right now, what the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to take action on. Take action on it. Are you here this morning and, you, and you're dating someone and it's, it's going so fast that, that you haven't really done the checklist thing, that you haven't really looked at those compatibility factors? Maybe you just need to slow your relationship down and, and submit that relationship to the affirmation of others. What might God be saying to you this morning? Are you in a marriage relationship this morning and it's cold and it's getting colder? Is it time for some, some, some kind of enrichment? Are you stuck? Is it, is it time for you to get help? Maybe this morning you're outside of the family of God and maybe you've just been sensing that God's saying, hey, I want you to come my way. Maybe today's, what better day than to just surrender your life to Christ and say, Lord Jesus Christ, would you come into my life? Just admit your own sinfulness and reach out to heaven, right? Just become involved in an, in an eternal relationship with, with Jesus, the Savior and Lord of the universe. Just have that relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this morning I'm just... This is the beginning. We'll talk about it over the next two weeks. But I want to ask you to take whatever steps the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take. Amen.